Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, October 30th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Fiat Chrysler and Peugeot's parent company have held talks about a possible merger, and U.S. senators slammed Boeing's chief executive during yesterday's hearing. But first, British MPs have finally agreed to a general election. The FT's Robert Trimsley explains why the December 12th poll will be one of the most divisive in recent UK history. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Boris Johnson, it has to be said, is taking a huge political gamble. There's quite a high chance that Brexit would be lost if he loses, and there is absolutely no guarantee he wins. But he has made the calculation that if he can't get his deal through, his next best bet is to go to the country saying, let me finish off what you asked us to do. Let me deliver you Brexit. Parliament is stopping me. I need your help to get this done. He's calculated that's his best chance of success. He's also looked at the opinion polls, which show that the official opposition, the Labour Party, is floundering and way, way, way behind that people are fed up with its leader, Jeremy Corbyn, although it's worth noting that it was in exactly this position in terms of the opinion polls before the last election in 2017 and pulled right back to make it a real nail-biter. So you can't take that for granted. Of the other parties, the Liberal Democrats, the small third centre party, if you were, they've essentially made the calculation that they want to be the official voice of Remain. They are the most Remain-minded party. In the unlikely event that they won an election outright, they would simply cancel Brexit. The Scottish National Party looks likely to do very, very well in this election, so they're pretty gung-ho for an election. The only party that didn't really want an election at the moment is the Labour Party, because of where they stand in the opinion polls and because many of their own MPs don't really like the idea of Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister and hope that if the election was delayed well into next year, they might get a new leader. But in the end, they've been forced to go along with it, mainly for fear of looking like the only party that didn't want one. How divisive is this election going to be, not just among politicians, but among the people in the UK? It's going to be an absolutely horrible election. It's going to be fought in the most aggressive terms. It's going to be a deeply unlovely period. The other reason to remember is, although Brexit is obviously the overwhelming focus, there's also a major choice in terms of the rest of the economic agenda, because Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party is offering the most left-wing agenda to be put before British voters since probably the nationalisations immediately after the war in 1945. He believes in a large number of nationalisations, an incredibly aggressive Green Deal plan, which would essentially try to make the UK carbon neutral, net zero emissions by 2030. That's an enormous re-engineering of the British economy. There are lots and lots of major issues, and you can certainly expect the Conservatives to go after him full tilt as a very, very dangerous alternative to them. A new $47 billion car company could be in the making. The FT reported yesterday that Fiat Chrysler and Peugeot's parent company, PSA, have held talks about a possible tie-up. These talks come just a few months after Fiat Chrysler, also known as FCA, withdrew its proposal for a merger with France's Renault. Sources told our reporters that PSA and Fiat Chrysler had actually held talks on a combination before the merger offer with Renault took shape. Sources told the FT that there was no guarantee a deal between the two car companies would be reached. On behalf of myself and the Boeing company, we are sorry, deeply and truly sorry. That's Boeing Chief Executive Dennis Mullenberg testifying in front of a U.S. Senate committee on Tuesday. He was there to report on the safety of the 737 MAX jet, which was involved in two fatal accidents that killed 346 people, a Lion Air flight last October and an Ethiopian Airlines flight this past March. 
Senators accused Mr. Mullenberg of hiding the details of the aircraft's anti-stall system. The system, which is known as MCAS, was implicated in the accidents. Here's Democrat Richard Blumenthal. Those pilots never had a chance. These loved ones never had a chance. They were in flying coffins as a result of Boeing deciding that it was going to conceal MCAS from the pilots. Senators also took issue with a series of instant messages between two employees. The messages appeared to suggest that Boeing's chief technical pilot was aware of the problems with the MCAS during its certification process. Mr. Mullenberg has said he only saw those messages weeks ago, even though they were written in February. But U.S. Senator Ted Cruz was skeptical of the claim. And how did your team not put it in front of you, run in with their hair on fire, saying, we got a real problem here? Mr. Mullenberg is due back on Capitol Hill today, this time in front of members of the House of Representatives. And here's a story you should know more about. Back in May, the FT reported on a vulnerability in WhatsApp that allowed attackers to inject commercial Israeli spyware onto phones. WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook, has 1.5 billion users worldwide. Attackers were able to install the surveillance software to iPhones and Android phones by calling targets in the messaging app's call function. The code that allowed them to do this was developed by the Israeli company NSO Group. And attackers used NSO's flagship product, called Pegasus, to execute a number of functions, including turning on a phone's microphone and camera, trawling through emails and messages, as well as collecting location data. Mehul Srivastava talked to me about new FT reporting on the WhatsApp vulnerability. WhatsApp, when they learned about this hack, which is just around the time that we wrote our story, which was based on completely different sources, they shut down the thing altogether. I don't know if people remember, but in May, pretty much everybody in the world had to update their WhatsApp to stop the ability to send this Pegasus through a WhatsApp call. Now, what WhatsApp did was they didn't forget about this. They spent about six months researching this and studying it, and they had a data set. It turns out that they have a two-week data set of where all these phone calls ended up being made to. And they made a list of this, and they worked with the University of Toronto, which has a, a lab called the Citizen Lab, which basically works to help folks like human rights activists and journalists and dissidents defend themselves against digital surveillance. And they found that at least 100 of them were journalists, human rights activists. There's a, the way it was described to me, you know, prominent women who've had intimate details released and prominent religious figures, etc. So clearly, what Citizen Lab found was a wide pattern of abuse. Because if you think about it, there were 1,400 people targeted during two weeks. And at least 100 of them were easily publicly identifiable as people who don't have anything to do with crime and terrorism. So it's been alleged that certain bad governments have then abused NSO-supplied software to target the phones of particular journalists, not that NSO itself is doing the targeting. So NSO's position has always been that, A, we don't know what people are doing with our software, and that's how it's designed, because we're selling it to intelligence agencies. They don't want us looking at what to do with it, but that we vet these customers carefully. We know a lot about them, and that we get approval from the Israeli government to sell it. But What we're finding now is that there are clearly customers out there who are abusing the software. We have a story in the FT Today which tracks a small group of Rwandan dissidents, about six people that we interviewed, who belong to a diaspora Rwandan resistance movement. They are anti the government of Mr. Kagame. Now, there are significantly reliable human rights reports that say 
that the Rwandan government has used violence against human rights activists, against critics of the regime, against dissidents, especially those belonging to a movement called the Rwandan National Congress that's based in South Africa and around the world. The people who are in this dissident movement have recently been notified by Citizen Lab that many of them had been targeted by this WhatsApp hack during the two-week period that WhatsApp had studied. And when we interviewed them, we found people who are essentially trying to lead an opposition to the government from by working diplomatically, by having contact with other African nations, by traveling around the world to try and tell other people what they believe are the crimes of the Kagame government. That's clearly not crime or terrorism. And when we spoke to these people, it also seemed that there had been an increase in the amount of surveillance that they were under and the kind of physical threat that they'd been facing. But we have to be very clear. There is no evidence right now that the Rwandan government has purchased and is using this, uh, this software. What we understand is, is dissidents have often faced threats from the Rwandan government, and they believe that the Rwandan government would utilize this software to add to the level of surveillance that they were already under. So, Mehul, what's WhatsApp doing about this now? I mean, the thing that WhatsApp has done that's very impressive is that not only have they investigated this, they have now decided to file suit against NSO. And just around the time that our story ran, WhatsApp filed a lawsuit in a California court alleging that NSO Group broke laws both in the U.S. and with the service agreements that WhatsApp users always agree to when they sign to not abuse the service. This is the first major tech company to take any serious action against uh, spyware manufacturers. And they are taking against a group that people like the UN Special Rapporteur on the Freedom of Expression and Citizen Lab and Amnesty have consistently criticized for not having the level of standards to make sure that its software cannot be abused. NSO insists it respects human rights unequivocally and says it conducts a thorough evaluation of the potential for misuse of its products by clients. It released a statement on Tuesday in response to news of the lawsuit saying, quote, In the strongest possible terms, we dispute today's allegations and will vigorously fight them. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.